Today I would like to teach you from the Word of God on bold prayers. This next 21 days, we're going to pray bold prayers. We're not going to God in intimidation and fear, self-pity or defeat, fear, doubt, and unbelief of any kind. We're not going to Him in skepticism or false humility. We're going to God with some bold prayers. How many of you want to pray bold prayers this week? Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, let's study the boldness of the apostles and the effect their boldness had. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, let's read it together. I believe I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here we go. Nope. Acts 4, 13. There we are. Now, the apostles had been arrested for, first of all, preaching about Jesus. In that context, there was a lame man, 40 years he had been a beggar without the ability to walk. He had been instantly, miraculously healed. It caused a huge commotion. Thousands of people came to see and hear what was going on. And so the religious of that day who opposed Jesus and the apostles arrested them. They were members of the council. It says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So we see that these men had a real boldness about them. They were not fearful. They were not intimidated. They were not timid in their approach. They were not politically correct. They noted that they were untrained men. These were not religious men. They didn't have religious degrees and training and all the background of the religion of their day. That they were basically fishermen and common workers of the day. And then they noted about them that these were the same men that had followed Jesus prior to his crucifixion. They simply recognized these men have been with Jesus. They made the connection. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, There was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What shall we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in the name, in in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God. For this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Can you say amen? Amen. And so the story is that Peter and John, these uneducated, untrained men, had so much power working in their lives and so much faith in God that they boldly commanded a man that the, the city had watched beg a lame man for some 40 years. And yet instantly he was healed and began to run and leap and praise God. 
And the news of that tremendous miracle began to spread throughout the, the city of Jerusalem. As a result, they were uh, arrested and called before the religious council. You see, these were ordinary men that were bold in their faith. These were just ordinary men that really had an encounter with God and a faith in God that affected everything they did. The emphasis here is on their boldness. It was not their wisdom. It was not their education or their ability or how polished they were at anything. It was on the boldness that was in them. This is what made the impact, and this is what they credited the miracle to. So Peter and John boldly witnessed for Jesus. It had only been a few weeks before that Jesus himself had been arrested and crucified. So they understood the, the jeopardy that they were putting themselves in. They understood that as sure as Jesus was rejected and ultimately persecuted, that they themselves would be rejected and persecuted and maybe even killed in the same way that he did. And yet they were so bold and so fervent and so enthusiastic about their faith that they continued to witness to everybody and to practice the healing power that Jesus had given them. And so they were arrested but eventually turned loose because the numbers were just against the council. There would come a day when the numbers would shift and the story would change. But at this point, there were so many people for the gospel that and for what had happened that they couldn't touch them and so they let them go now we read just down just a little further and uh, look at verse 23 and the apostles go to a home and they gather with the rest of their believers and I want us to read their prayer beginning in verse 23 so they've just been let out of prison narrowly escaped their life their death and then um, so they gather together for the next great big prayer meeting as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had done. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices to, together in prayer to God. This is what they said, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, your servant, our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry and why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against them as his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Can I stop right there? Their prayer was for great boldness. These men of God knew that if they were going to impact their city and impact their world, they were going to have to do it with great boldness. It wasn't going to be done with timidity and fear and political correctness and an attempt to be pleasing and to be accepted and to be exalted by unbelievers. It was going to be done with a fearlessness, a boldness that was irresistible. And so he said, stretch out your hand with healing power. And may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I want to stop right there. So they prayed for boldness. And they prayed for God to stretch out his hand with healing power. I want us to stop a moment in this teaching and pray that God would stretch out his hand with healing power.
I'm asking God for a wave of healing to sweep through our church, our cities, and this region. Father, give us boldness. Give us boldness like you gave the apostles. Let us speak without fear of man, without concern of man's favor. Let us speak with boldness, Lord. And we ask you to stretch out your hand of healing. Lord, I know that Houston, Texas is known for healing. With the greatest medical facilities the world knows. People come here from all over the world for our medical services. We thank you for that, Lord. And consistent with that spirit of healing, we ask that you would stretch out your hand and begin to heal. Over and above what our medical doctors can do, we ask you to stretch out your hand, show signs, wonders, and miracles, and demonstrate your power through healing and other good things that you do for our people. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. Let's go back to the verse. <clears throat> After this prayer, the meeting place shook. The place where they had gathered, the place where they were just praying, something happened. I, 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 maybe it was an earthquake or something. I don't know. But the whole building began to shake. This is what we call a sign and a wonder. We're not sure why it happened. We certainly don't know how it happened. We're not necessarily understanding why God chose to do that. I'm not aware he did it anywhere else in the New Testament. I've never seen it happen in my lifetime. All I know is it was a sign and a wonder. It was a sign and a wonder. The house shook. The sheetrock cracked. The doors didn't work correctly. The floors had lines in it. Because when they prayed, God gave them a sign. And I'm asking God to give us signs and wonders in this day and time. We cannot ask him specifically what to do, and we won't always understand why he does it. But God, give us signs and wonders in our day. The world may not be converted by a sign and a wonder. But what it does, it gives the church boldness. It gives the church faith. You see, what I see as a sign, an unbeliever has no regard for and has an easily explanation. It has no meaning or purpose. But as a believer, when God does a sign and a wonder for me, it has a way of building my faith and building the boldness on the inside of me. So I want to encourage you to look for signs and wonders. Don't use this as a witnessing tool. Don't use it as something to try to convince other people. Signs and wonders are mainly for God's people to help build their faith and help point them in the right direction and give them a boldness in their ministries. Now, I know there's exceptions to that, but I'm talking about the general rule at least. So you look for signs and wonders, little things that hap God puts together, alignment of events and circumstances and things that when it happens, you say, whoa, wait a minute. That must have surely been God. That's a sign. That's an indication. That's something God is showing me. So today, Father, we ask you to stretch out your hand and give us signs and wonders and empower us, embolden us, Lord, 
with signs and wonders that you do in our lives to help us be what you want us to be in this day and time. I release a word of signs and wonders on the people of God. I release signs and wonders in your family, in your health, in your business, in your finance. I release signs and wonders on the people of God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. And the last words. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Can you say amen? amen? I believe that boldness is necessary for effective ministry. Boldness is necessary for us to be effective in ministry. God doesn't use timid, backward, fearful, cowarding people. You know, one of the great songs we're hearing today, a, a big word for this generation, millennials, a big word is the word brave. So we have songs, we talk about being brave. And we talk about being, no longer being a slave to fear. And I believe this is a word that the Spirit has brought to us. It's a word that is, is helping us to be bold. You see, if, if, if you're not brave, you're not bold. And if you're bold, you're brave. And God wants to make us brave and he wants to make us bold in our faith. The devil's trying to intimidate us. The world is intimidating us. He is squashing our, our faith. He's squashing our lifestyle, squashing our belief systems, our value system, and daring us to be public in our faith. God wants to make us brave and bold. And when we are bold... Lives will be touched and changed. You see, Christianity was never intended to be a convincing ideology, a convincing philosophy. It was never intended to be that. Paul said it this way, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. I didn't come to you with a debate that was more convincing than others. He said, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, ideologies and philosophies and belief system and opposing religious views, but I want your faith to be in the power of God. You see, men have to have an encounter with God. It isn't just about how impressive we are with our song and our preaching, how convincing we can put together a message or how thorough we are in our teaching uh, the Scripture, but it's about people that have an encounter with God. Let's just get real and say it's very difficult to understand the Bible if you don't know the author of the Bible. The Bible can be just confusing and, and meaningless and irrelevant, but once you meet the author, suddenly the book opens up, and it's a living word to you and your life and where you are. We need God to show himself strong and for men to have an encounter with God that cannot be denied. You see, my boldness is not based on how much I know the scripture and how much I can explain the message and the redemptive plan, but my boldness is based on things that I have personally encountered with God. My boldness is based on my relationship with him and what I know to be true because I have experienced it. And what I read in the scripture gives it context and structure and form and it brings it all together and makes it sense. But my faith is not on a theology. 
My faith is on a personal encounter with God and a demonstration of His power in my life. You see, there was a political correctness in the apostles' day just like there is ours. They ignored that political correctness and they were bold and it turned cities virtually upside down. The word on the street in America is that your faith is a private thing. It's it's a personal thing. That really gets my hackles up. I really get upset about that. Well, you know, my faith is private. It's not something for the public. It's private between me and God. Well, first of all, I think about how that when Christ purchased my salvation, there was nothing private about it. But he hung on a rugged cross nearly naked before he- between heaven and earth for all the world to see in open public humiliation and agony. So my salvation was not private. Now my walk with him is not private. Political correctness has pushed God out of the school system. Push God out of the political arena. Push God out of government. Push God out of the corporate world. Corporations have no soul. They're entities. They have no soul. Corporations are not driven by individuals with conviction and belief systems and integrity and reputation. Corporations are entities that are put together by many people. And one of the greatest enemies we have in America today is corporate America. Because their sole motivation is money and dominion of their market. They're not individuals with conviction. They're investors like me and you that have invested in the stock market and other things. And we don't have a voice. We don't have a conscience. We just have an investment. And corporate America is pushing out Christianity from America. First, the first time in the history of this country when we have moral issues that come to the surface, such as transgender restrooms, We have the voices of corporations standing up saying, if you don't allow transgender restrooms, we won't come to your city, we won't function in your state. Corporations, corporate America has become an enemy. Walmart does not have a soul. They got a lot of good stuff at fairly good prices, but they don't have a soul. They don't have a conscience. They're on every corner, but they're not human beings. They're entities that Satan is using and Target, and Sears, and many, many more whose names you already know that have a a, a liberal, godless agenda that is woven into their corporation. And as long as they're paying their stockholders, it doesn't matter what they do. As long as they're providing you and I goods and services at cheap prices, it doesn't matter what they do. The church has never fought corporations like we're fighting in the 21st century. So it isn't just politics, government, it isn't just academia, but it's corporate America that doesn't even want their employees to wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm calling out corporate America. 
We need to quit shopping at places where we realize that they have an evil, ungodly agenda behind it. We need to quit buying their goods and wearing their clothes and their shoes and eating their foods. Now, what that means is the list of places I can go has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter because corporate America across the board is godless, absolutely godless. I'm calling them out in Jesus' name. I better move on. You know, the first church was a praying church. They prayed for the Holy Spirit to fall. They prayed when it came time to replace one of the apostles. They laid their hands on the sick and prayed for healing. Peter got on his knees and prayed for a young girl named Tabitha. Over and over again, it says the church fasted and prayed in a prayer surge. They prayed on rooftops. They prayed by riversides. They prayed in public places, and they prayed in private homes. They prayed for those that did not know Christ. They prayed for Saul when he was converted. They prayed for their men of God that were cast in prison for preaching the gospel. When Stephen was stoned, he prayed that God would receive his spirit into heaven. He didn't pray for deliverance. He prayed for reception in heaven. And again, over and over again, they prayed for people to receive the Holy Spirit. So we have a, a large record in the book of Acts of how the first century church was a praying church. But nowhere do I read where they prayed for more money, better house, better job. I'm sure they must have. I'm sure they must have. I'm just saying there's no record there. Everything they were praying for was outside. It was the kingdom of God. It was hurting people, unsaved, broken, needing healing, people that were in some kind of dire straits. The record we have, I'm not saying they didn't pray for themselves. I'm just saying the record we have is of prayers that were prayed outside themselves. I just believe the first century church wasn't focused on a more comfortable lifestyle. I'm just convinced the first century church wasn't just focused on themselves, but they were focused on the people. And as a result, God used them in phenomenal ways. So I ask myself today, if God answered every prayer I prayed last week, would the world be any different or just me? The Bible says the righteous are bold as lions. And that's the kind of prayers we're going to pray this week. One more verse of Scripture and I'll bring this to a close. Hebrews 4, 14. Hebrews 4, 14. So then, since we have a great high priest, that'd be Jesus Christ himself, who has entered into heaven, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now, the high priest is the one that goes before God the Father representing us. Jesus is our high priest. The Bible said he ever lives to make intercession for us. So in the throne room of God, Jesus serves as a high priest, and he goes before the Father, and he presents our needs and our prayers to him. He represents us. He's the high priest. The high priest of ours, this high priest, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly, the Bible said, to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Leave that verse there, please. So here's the invitation that God gives to us. Come boldly before the throne of our gracious God. The throne of God is, represents all the authority of God. It's the center of His kingdom. It's where the king sits and renders judgment. When I go to God in prayer, I'm asking the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe to render a judgment in my behalf. I am beseeching him to grant my petition. I am going to the throne because he is the highest authority and whatever he said absolutely is settled. Now, so because we have a high priest that has gone before us, presented his own innocent blood, we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ, and Jesus is our representative. And so he said, come boldly before the throne of God. If you go before a court of law and you present yourself to the judge and file a petition, on your right or left would be an attorney someone that would be there to represent you and to guide you through it and to ensure that you would have what you requested. So when I go before boldly before the throne of our gracious God, Jesus Christ is there with me to represent me and to guide me through it and to give me access to God the Father. And so in this 21 days, I'm asking you to join me and let's go boldly to the throne of God. Go boldly to the throne of God. You see, it's not going to do us any good to go in pity, pitiful, pitiful. God responds to faith. God responds to faith. He doesn't respond to whiners. Whiners. He doesn't respond to whiners. You know what a whiner is? Someone that whines all the time. So this week, we're not going to whine to God. We're going to come boldly to the Lord. And we're going to stand there and believe God that hears us, He hears us when he pray, we pray. And He's going to give us the petitions that we ask of Him. So when you go in prayer today, you're going in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not your own goodness, not your own works, not your own correctness, not your own blamelessness, your own sinlessness. You're going based on the blood of Jesus. You're going boldly to the throne of God because God has given us His Word as a promise. We're standing on what He said He would do. We're holding the Father accountable for His promises. We're going to the throne of grace, lifting up our families and our children and asking God to pour His goodness and love out upon them and to cause His will to be done in each of their lives. We're going to God with our families this week. And we're not going shamefully. We're not going in timidity and fear and reluctance. We're not going to be whining about anything. We're going boldly. We're not complaining about anything. We're giving thanks.